Welcome to the Pentagon Labyrinth, the podcast of the Center for Defense Information, brought to you by the Strauss Military Reform Project at the Project on Government Oversight. Military leaders are faced with a dilemma unique among the professions. On a daily basis, doctors get to practice medicine, architects get to design buildings, and educators get to teach students. Military professionals, by comparison, spend the vast majority of their careers preparing to do a job they rarely, and in some fortunate cases, never have to actually perform. This makes the education and training of military leaders that much more important. They need to be ready to perform at their peak from the first moment they are called to do so. Those they lead will pay the price for any shortfalls in their preparation. The services already do a lot to prepare their people to do their jobs. Almost everyone who has been in the Army or the Marine Corps can, and often do, tell stories of their time spent in the field conducting training exercises. And not to take anything away from them, but most of these exercises are useful insofar as they train and refine procedures rather than actually testing people's ability to make difficult decisions based on imperfect information. The nature of coordinating the movements of large forces in an attempt to achieve the commander's training objectives means these exercises must be planned in minute detail to precise schedules. This is especially true when live ammunition is involved. This often limits the opportunities for leaders in junior positions to make real decisions. But there is good news. A simpler, low-tech way exists that can help develop decision-making skills for leaders. Tactical decision games, or to use the more business-like name, tactical decision exercises, have been around since at least the time of Machiavelli. They are narrative-based problems presented that provide a basic mission, commander's intent, and the available resources that challenge a person's ability to develop a workable plan in a time-constrained situation. Two individuals with extensive experience educating military professionals with this method are Dr. Bruce Gudmundson and Don Vandergriff. Both currently work with the Marine Corps developing its leaders in Quantico, Virginia and I can personally attest to the effectiveness of their methods, having experienced Bruce's decision-forcing cases while I was a student at Expeditionary Warfare School, and spending a week going through one of Don's adaptive leader seminars at Fort Benning, Georgia. Here is a recent conversation they had discussing the history and value of tactical decision games. Hello to everyone out there in uh, podcast land. Uh, This is uh, Bruce Goodmanson from the old headquarters building in Quantico, Virginia, and I'm talking to to Don Vandergriff about tactical decision games. Don, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm a uh, a, a former Marine enlisted and Army officer tanker. Uh, I've been uh, all over the world, and recently uh, uh, I was in Afghanistan for almost four years uh, uh, with the Ministry of uh, Interior Training uh, Police officers in uh, force structure and force design and currently fortunately I'm uh, with uh, consulting the commanding general of TCOM uh, training and education command in learning and that's the way I got back with my uh, longtime friend Bruce Goodmanson because uh, uh, we're not we go walking every other morning 
So I'm glad to be here, Bruce. Okay, good. So, so tell us a little bit about uh, tactical decision games. First of all, what is a tactical decision game? Tactical decision game is a, a war game in a sense. Uh, it's a simple war game where you present a scenario, you put a student or a, a person in a dilemma, and under a time crunch, they either have to make a rapid decision or they get limited time as a group or an individual to plan and then they have to, the important part, they have to defend their course of action against their peers and teachers or observers uh, in a way, in their own words, that justifies why they made that decision. It's a wonderful tool, but can be easily abused if not done properly. And uh, Bruce and I will get into that. Yes, yeah, so, so, so this is it's, it's a tactical decision game. Let's, let's, let's unpack that. It's a decision game. So the, the central yes. element there is decision. Yes, we're asking the players, the participants, to make a decision. And then allow their peers and their superiors, hopefully that are there, their teacher, uh, to critique that course of action. And that's where a lot of learning goes on. And then in return, the person that is uh, proposing their course of action or their action, their decision, has to defend it and justify it in their own words. That's key in their own words because using a tactical decision game is a good tool to introduce new concepts uh, without making people read and, and be lectured at. Uh, they discover the new concept in their own words, and then a skilled facilitator or teacher will say, well, you meant to say this. This is what we use in doctrine or military terms, and the person automatically goes, Oh, that's what how I label it. So they take ownership of the learning. So you're really talking about, about three things here. One is that this is something that is is active learning. That the the participant is actually from within five minutes of the start of the exercise is actually doing something, making a decision, taking taking a risk. The second thing we're talking about is is the critique. Yes, and the third thing is is the paraphrasing. How how yes. the uh, the instructor helps the the student helps the player refine his ideas, engage his ideas. So so let's let's do these things backwards. Yeah, if you will. So so talk about the paraphrasing, and so the the uh, you presented the student with a problem. Uh, you are in command of this imaginary unit on a piece of terrain. Terrain can be imaginary or real. Uh, and uh, you have a problem, what's your solution? The student gives a solution, I would, my orders are, often in the form of orders. Uh, then as, as the facilitator, as the instructor, as the teacher, what do you do? That, that's, and that's the key aspect. It's student-centric, but the part that people have a hard time with who are instructors, as we refer to them, they, they, it's an art to know how to facilitate. That is, you get as much out of the students toward whatever given outcome you, you have for that class and for a series of classes with doing as little talking as possible. So you get the students to answer the solutions or answer the questions that you've posed that you want them to learn, and they get critiqued and cross-talk with their peers, and that's where the learning takes place. And that's very important, the art of facilitation. That's why I always like to remind uh, teachers in both the case method and D DFCs and in tactical decision games, you are not Charles Dickens, you are not paid by the word. Exactly. Right? The, the, uh, the whole point is to get the student talking, to get him to make a decision, express his ideas, 
And then you, as, as the facilitator, you often will paraphrase that, yeah. which is an opportunity to, to help a, a, a student uh, refine his idea, take that idea, make it fuller. I uh, go back to Socrates. Socrates yeah. always talks about uh, being the midwife, right? right. You're, not the, you're not the mother of the idea. The, the, the student, the player, is the mother of the idea. You're simply the midwife. You're just helping get that baby out, right. into, uh, out into the world. And maybe, you know, wash it off a bit and, and, and give it a tickle. But, but, but fundamentally, it's the student who's doing the, the heavy lifting. One, uh, I'll give you a good example. One of the uh, uh, guys, leaders, uh, Chad Foster, lieutenant colonel, who mastered this at West Point, military, Department of Military Instruction, he would bring me up to observe classes, not only of his, of, of their instructors, and they were really getting this facil- facilitation uh, uh, approach down. Well, he did a class where he used an ambush scenario to teach Okoka, which is the acronym for uh, how to identify key train and analyze the train. Uh, and uh, one of the students used uh, their own words for it. That's nice, like observation, concealment. Key train, avenues of approach. It's changed to something else now. But the point is, his outcome for that class, which he him and the other instructors all worked on was I'm going to teach key terrain but I'm not going to have them as they did the year before mass memorized slide from field manual 7-8 which is the infantry platoon which is used both by the Marine Corps and the Army and many other uh, services around the world uh, that's what they used to do here's here's what all these acronyms mean uh, this is what you need to memorize and why you need to do it. That's the lecture for 50 minutes. Right, and, and as a result, what you get is people who can repeat the slides back to you. They can tell you the acronym. They can tell you what each letter stands for, but they can't tell you what it means. What it, what it means in context of a real problem. Yes. Chad took this TDG that I had used in a workshop the, the, in May before. This was in the winter, and it's very cold in West Point in the winter, but I still went up there. Uh he used this particular TDG, which was a squad ambush tactical decision game, uh, to teach Okoka. And so when the student would say a word that would probably paraphrase one of the key parts of the, parts of the acronym, Chad would write it down and just keep it up there until the very end. And then he would say, okay, you guys all identified what the outcome of this tactical decision exercise because at West Point, they called it exercises because the academic board would not let them call it game because it sounded too fun. That's a real story. That's interesting the, the, because when we call it a game, we're translating the German word spiel, which yeah. means game, yeah. but it also means a, a uh, spiel is more like this laying things out, right. showing things. It's, it's like a schauspiel is a, is a theatrical yeah. play. Uh, it's there's about a ninety percent overlap with our word game, but there's 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 more yeah. more there, and there's this idea of of laying things out, making things making things explicit, right? As they do with their key spiel yes. rules and so forth. But they have a rule book also from the eighteen eighties on how to facilitate these these games. Uh, so so Chad used this game very innovative. And he taught a coca, but the big difference was there was not a. There was one slide used. He used that to show the map yes. or the train, but the students did everything else. What I also noticed about the class that was it. So at the end, Chad introduces them to the actual doctrinal term, uh, and the student at that point said, "Yes, I named it myself 
there's another name for it, but they take ownership most of the time of that learning, which is important. And this is how I knew they were taking ownership. During the class, even though it's in the military academy and the class was run very disciplined, uh, there was all the students constantly raised their hand and wanted to participate. And Chad had to say in a good tone, it's not your turn, it's so-and-so, cadet so-and-so's turn. So the enthusiasm, which would normally not have been there the year before, was there throughout. Well, what, what, because, and this just goes back to the idea, yes, it's, it's a spiel, yeah. it's, it's a layout, it's, it's a, an exposition, but it's also a game. It's fun. Yeah. These things are fun to do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a kind of, of, of LARPing without the costumes. It, it, and also, it's, it's in a fail-safe environment. Yes, the, the cadets know, in a way, they're always being tested, which is a good thing in, 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 in uh, Robert Bork's uh, uh, approach to learning, uh, but they have fun doing it. Uh, for example, they're being tested, even though it wasn't for a grade that day, because each student has to get up and present their course of action in front of their peers and their teacher. And then they have to get critiqued. That's testing. Be it for a grade or not for a grade, they're practicing, but they're not practicing by doing the rote method. Oh. So, and you're talking about Robert Bjork, who is the who was out at UCLA. He's yeah. a psychologist, and he's somebody who, for the past 40 years or so, has yeah, been studying. Yeah, his wife. Yeah. He, he, uh, yes, Robert, Robert Elizabeth Bjork, who are, who are studying. They're studying memory. They're studying learning. And one of his points is that if you want to learn something, be tested. Yes. Over and over. And over again. But as he says, he calls it uh, uh, difficult. Uh, Desirable difficulties. difficulties. Yes. Meaning that it's never the same way. It always changes the conditions and it's interspacing, meaning that you don't do the same thing every day in the same pattern. You vary the patterns, vary the events. Uh, for in military terms, I would do scenarios with my cadets that were never the same. Now, we have in the military, though, they do the industrial method, which I'm going to do lanes training, and it's none of the conditions are going to change, and you're going to do it until you get a pass on it, but I'm never going to vary the conditions. Well, you don't do a lot for people preparing them for combat that way. Yes, you get them uh, a condition to do one certain thing one way, but in combat, you will, there will never be the same solution to any one problem. Right. Every, every situation, every tactical situation is necessarily unique. Right, exactly. I mean, there, there are so many elements that go into there, but there are also some common elements which we're practicing with, with tactical decision games. The one thing you, you've got to do is be deliberate. Right. You've got to make a decision. There's got to be a bias for action. You have to give your orders clearly. And part of that, of course, is, is, is knowing the common language. It's right. an interesting, interesting uh, uh, aspect of, of the way, particularly the way that, that Chad Foster... Was was facilitating these things. He's using the paraphrasing, yes, as a way of 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 introducing and reinforcing the use of, of the standard the standard language, the correct the correct terminology, which is very different from the way we often teach. We we often teach tactics by simply giving people these these isolated words. Right. And it's exactly. one thing the human brain does not like to retain is isolated bits of information. Exactly. We, we, we're, we're contextual creatures. Right. But another thing I'd, I'd like to, uh, to draw out of, of, uh, of your description of what, what uh, Colonel Foster was doing is, is that he's cold calling. Yes. Right? So, so that we're, 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 um, 
we have a, an educational culture, at least in the armed forces, which is all about waiting for the volunteer. Right. right? So, so we have we, our, our war colleges, our staff colleges are full of, of these seminars, which are usually, usually you know, 12, 14, 15 people in, in the classroom, but in the, around a table, but only three or four are talking. Right. Everybody else is a, is a strap hanger. And you've got the people who are having their, their private conversation, which may be doing them some good, probably doing them a world of good. Uh, these, these are the people who, who are at least, um, when I was teaching at the staff college, uh, were known as the spring butts. Yes. Right? These are the people who always like to hear themselves talk. And the, but, but you have eight, 10, sometimes 12 people sitting around. That if you didn't call them, they would never say anything. And it doesn't. it's not because they're not aggressive or they're not enthused. It's just their personality type. So that's another technique that I, I saw the instructors up there employ, the cold calling. Uh, another one was different techniques to, to, to brief your course of action. Uh, the preferred method was, okay, I want you to write your solution down, even though it's a minute. As soon as I say go, you have one minute. because, And then read back what you wrote exactly verbatim to your peers. Because people start realizing a lot of things they write are not useful in communicating orders. And over time, they start getting more succinct, uh, concise uh, keywords on how to give orders. So this is a paradox here. And this is actually a technique that Helmut von Moltke used way back in the, in the 19th century. I'm, I'm actually doing with the Decision Game Club here in Quantico. We're working through some of the classic decision games, some of the TDGs that uh, Helmut von Moltke used starting in the 1850s. So, so this week we're doing one, it's now March of 2019, we're doing one from, from uh, 1858 or 1859, so, yeah. so, so a long time ago. And what he would do is he would present the problem and have people, have his, his students, his young officers, write out their solutions. Now the paradox here is that he's teaching them how to give oral orders. This, this is not a written order culture. Often the orders were written down after the fact for a record, for, yeah. for, for, a record for reference, yeah. for historical purposes, but, but the actual order is given quickly, is given, and, is, and is given verbally. And so, so uh, the uh, so the, the, the writing down of 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 the order, as, as you said, serves the purpose of helping people refine their ideas, express themselves clearly, succinctly. Don't waste time. Uh, and the, the key key thing here is having having time time pressure. Talk a little bit more about the, the time pressure, if you will. Well, there's not a lot of ways in the classroom that you can simulate the stress of combat and also see what people, if you give people, one of the, one of the arguments when I do problem solving games is I needed more time. And I always go, well, why? Well, I would have got it right. So what's the right answer then? So time, uh, limited time is a way to add stress, to start getting people's minds comfortable with stress and time, uh, that's one way to do it. There's other ways, of course, Bruce and I will talk about, but time is the biggest. Uh, my journal, uh, depending on if it's a hasty contact drill, 30 seconds to a minute, and then for a planning drill where uh, they might make contact or have made contact, but the enemy uh, OODA loop is slow, they have five minutes to plan and write something with a group. So time is a great variable to put to induce stress. 
Oh, no, I think it's key because if you, if you look at how people have done this wrong, you know, so, so TDGs have been around for a long time. Uh, there's, there's a little passage from Machiavelli's The Prince. Yeah. So that, that's a book coming out in the early 16th century. And he's talking about uh, Philippimon. Uh, Philippomen, I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. Uh, he was he was the last of the Greeks. He was the the, the, the guy who was was fighting against the the Romans uh, right before they they uh, took over um, the Greek speaking world uh, in the second century BC. So Philippomen says was saying every time I go out in the countryside with my friends, I say here's a here's a hill. How do you defend it? How would you attack it? And, and Machiavelli is recommending that as a mental exercise for, for, for his readers. So TDGs have been around for a long time, and they really um, uh, become very famous in the 19th century because of, because of Moltke, because of the German Wars of Unification. And you know, the French, the British, the Americans, a lot of people try to imitate them. But the mistake they make, make a lot of mistakes actually, the first mistake they make is no cold calling. Right. Second mistake they make is... Let's let people, let's give people the time they need. So rather than having to make up your mind in, in five minutes or two minutes or 30 seconds, it's we'll give you an hour or two. Third mistake we make, or we, we, we has been made historically, is to, uh, is to uh, let groups make a solution. So how do you, how do you handle group, groups in, in, in the way you teach TDGs? Well... I, I use the groups for to teach people how to identify how to get their subordinates together and how to identify strengths and weaknesses of each individual because our culture doesn't like that. Our culture wants to make everybody perfect and don't understand that human nature teams work well when they understand how I compensate for someone else's weakness. That's a great team. So I do it for that big reason. I do it to teach people how to learn to share ideals which is effective planning. So that's why I use groups because I give them very complex problems to solve in five minutes. And you can only do that with other people's ideals. And, and we talk about an AAR, of course, at the end. So, so th- th- this is, this is um, very similar to the way I do it. Sometimes I'll, I'll break up the class into groups yeah. and say, okay, talk about the problem and come up with a solution. But your solution is yours alone. You can get your ideas from anywhere. They're, they're in, in, in the world of tactics, there are no copyright laws. Right. right? There's, there, there are no patents. Uh, no, no lawyer is going to come sue you for stealing somebody's idea. But there's individual responsibility. Yes. So I don't let people say, well, our group said, no, no, no. Your group exchanged a lot of ideas. That was valuable. But you yourself, you're the commander. You're taking responsibility for what you do or do not do. Everything. It's, yeah. It is complete uh, responsibility uh, for the races one by one and one, never the, never by two and two, as right. the poet said. That's right. a, bit, a bit of Kipling. Always throwing a bit of Kipling in our podcast here. So the uh, so how can people find out more about, about tactical decision games? Well, there you just go on the web, of course. Uh, the, the, you know, I like people. I like people doing the intellectual rigor of going to a library or archives and doing their homework. But uh, the, I've written many articles about them. You have as well, Bruce. Chad has written uh, a couple of really good articles about it. Uh, the, my favorite one is he wrote it in the West Point uh, magazine years ago in two thousand eight or nine, uh, uh, dealing with asymmetric warfare. Uh, but uh, so there's a lot of sources there. The issue with the issue with these 
uh, things is you can read them all day. And as we've discovered through learning, it's better to do something and then and then read it. Because if you read it until you live it and experience it yourself, it's so different from what what you're doing now, which is the lecture approach, which is 99% of military schools and public education, that you don't really understand the, the power of these things. It's just a tool again. That you have to you have to get this right through understanding facilitation, understanding what things like I, another way I limit uh, I add stress is no questions, okay, uh, or I I leave them with a lot of American scenarios today. No air support or artillery. What are you going to do? Uh, I'll give you a good good story. You might have seen this on my mission command page on Facebook. I do TDGs every week, but well, we did that same ambush. So that, that, that's actually one one good resource right. for, 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 for for people is, yeah. is is the mission command page on on Facebook. Right. Uh, other things, right? Look up the articles written by written by Chad Foster. Yep. Uh, and you can you, you can Google that and and, and uh, he just wrote a great chapter in the uh, Mission Command anthology, which you and I talked about last podcast. Uh, Mission Command Two: The Who, What, Where, and When, and Why. Uh, Chad wrote a a great chapter on. Uh, the facilitation and, and creating tactile decision games. So this, is, this is a brand new book that was yeah. ed- it's an anthology edited by you and Stephen Weber, yeah. and uh, the uh, that's available wherever books on are Amazon, sold. On, uh, by on Amazon. Go, go on Amazon. Self published though, but we had a lot of help, and uh, uh, Steve's a wonderful writer. Uh, but uh, and it is the second in a series of, of anthologies, anthologies on about Mission Command. Which key is other people are writing. So we're getting a lot of people that also believe in it. And through writing, as you know, you've taught me, Bruce, through writing serious academic papers, which they all are. I'm pleased with all of them. They have to think about what this really means. And they did. They did a good job. The authors did. And and, and what you're also telling me is that mission command and tactical decision games go hand in hand. Yes. That, that these things, they, they come out of the same... The same culture yep. that that mission command is is uh, something well that that the tactical decision games are a great way to practice the skills and the attitudes and the knowledge you need to uh, to to wage maneuver warfare to practice to practice mission command exactly and if, if you if you if you look at people who are pushing mission command I mean going way back. Again, way back into the 19th century, even even into the 18th century, uh, they're also pushing uh, a tactical decision games. They're, also, they're, they're pushing ways they realize through numerous reasons, mainly through observation, that the way, while Mission Command is superior command culture, in our opinion, it has to be done right, just like t- tactical decision games. Because it's so easy to mess it up, and doing it right is you have to prepare your subordinates uh, to to be empowered and take responsibility. Right. Right, right. Mission command is very much about empowering your subordinates to make decisions. Right. So if you're doing that, you have to teach them to make decisions. They have to be in the habit and of making decisions and, and making good ones. Making good ones and defend and justify why they did it against opposition, so they don't crumble if it's a good decision. Because I've seen people, I was reading numerous things in the military weekly, should have been bi-weekly. Yes, yes. Uh, about students changing their, under pressure, changing their concept and almost getting failed in the, in the cadet schools. Yes. Because it was a show of weak character. You might have made a, a wrong decision, but you believed in it. Yes. So defend it. Don't change it because I'm putting pressure on you as the instructor. Yeah, I often use the phrase, 
that that when when a, when, a, when somebody is working through either a, a decision forcing case uh, or a tactical decision game, that his task is to devise, describe, and defend a course yes. of action. Very good. Right? Yeah. And the 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 defending part is is we we be very careful with word justification. It's not about excuses. It's about the the, the rationale. Yeah, the thank reason you. reason and and not. Rationalizing, not not say, well, I, I thought about this because of that. This is, oh, here is what I'm trying to do. Here is my concept. And, and another thing that one, Chad remembers this part, and when we were doing the workshops to prepare the instructors at the Department of Military Instruction in the spring and summer of 2008, we did like three or four of them up there. Uh, one of my big sayings is you've got to be prepared to leave the ego at the door. And what I mean by that is you have these highly decorated I mean, incredible people teaching there. Most of them come out of graduate school. They've come out of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Very good people. Uh, and it's easy for them to come in and say, I know it all. I'm going to teach you something. But that's not what it's all about. So when I say leave the ego at the door, because I've seen very good combat leaders that made poor teachers. Very knowledgeable, but they have to understand they have to get their students to take ownership of the learning. And the only way you do that, as you said, uh, paraphrasing, Allow, allow the students to label something in their own, justifying it on their own words. What that means, as Bruce just described, is not, a, not an excuse, but based on what they know, which is, was limited uh, for my cadets, for example, but they did, they, they understood what they want, they, the commander wanted them to do. And, and that's what the justification part is, in their own words. Not in the words of the instructor or the words of the doctrine manual, you help them along that way, and that's the hardest thing for people to understand how to facilitate. Well, this is this is the Socratic method. Yes, properly understood, I think. Unfortunately, in in the world of professional military education in the English speaking world, yeah. we use the term Socratic method to mean uh, I'll, I'll use an acronym BOPSAT. Bunch of yes. people sitting around a table, right? Yeah, and well. We're sitting around a table, therefore it's Socratic. No, no, no. No, so Socratic is, first of all, it's about questions. And your job as the instructor is to ask questions, not provide answers. The second thing is that your approach must, again, must be humble. Yes. Right? You're, 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 you're the humble inquirer. And, I, and that, that's a phrase I borrowed from Benjamin Franklin. If you, I recommend... I, Everybody, but particularly young people out there, read the memoirs of Benjamin Franklin. Excellent. And, yes. And the and Benjamin Franklin was he's a bright bright guy. And there's there's a wonderful novel out there by Neil Stevenson, which in which one of the the characters is a ten year old Benjamin Franklin, and he's the most obnoxious know it all little kid you ever saw. And you always have to remind yourself this guy's going to grow up to be Ben Franklin. But but he starts off because he's brighter than everybody else. Yes. He knows it. He's, he's, he's a know-it-all, but at some point, and thankfully for, for, for our country <laughs> and, and, and for humanity, that as a young man, Benjamin Franklin studies Socrates through Xenophon. He's reading about Socrates through Xenophon, which is the way to do it, not Plato. Plato was a communist. We don't like Plato. <laughs> uh, the, um, uh, and he says, you know, I'm going to be the humble inquirer. I'm not going to do the positive argumentation. Right. People know I'm Ben Franklin. People know I'm smart. Don't have to prove it. Exactly. Right. If you want to convince somebody of something, or if you, or the the even that, I think is the wrong way to approach it. If you want to engage a topic, engage a question, engage a question as a question. Yes. Ask questions, and that really is at the heart of the tactical 
decision game. So let's talk a little bit more about how uh, how our listeners out there can find out about tactical decision games. You talked about looking up Chad Foster and his his writings. We talked about the Mission Command anthology. And I have a book coming out uh, this summer through United States Naval Institute Press, which is uh, d- developing for Mission Command a superior command culture. Uh, six years of work. Oh yeah. Uh, your reference. Uh, uh, highly in it, of course, Bruce, because you've been had a very positive impact on me. Uh, but the book is basically uh, as P.J. Trimbley, Major P.J. Trimbley, who is the Op Four Commander for the uh, Simulated Exercise out of McTaug, said recently. He said uh, when the Field Manual Seven O or the one on Mission Command, which is Three O, came out, we were very disappointed because it was a lot of legal language. Yes. Uh, versus how to. Well, this book gives you a little bit of history of the barriers and what the Germans did, but there's several chapters on how to do it. And then there's a couple of chapters of organizations in the past that did it and, and how, how. So, Don, where can people find out more about, uh, about tactical decision games? Uh, again, uh, go on Google, put Bruce, Bruce's name, my name, Chad Foster's name. He's written some good chapters. Uh, both in the Mission Command Anthology 1 and 2 on how to develop for Mission Command. And this is Chad Foster of the U.S. Army who calls them decision-forcing exercises, yes. DFEs. Right. And, uh, yes, and also tactical decision Decision exercises. Because, again, the Military Academy, the academic board, said you can't call them games because they sound too fun, but they don't understand the translation from uh, spiel, yes. what it really means. So that, that, that's one place. Uh, other place to, to find tactical decision games, we talked about your anthologies, the Mission Command 1 and Mission Command 2. two. We'll give you some philosophy. Uh, other things. Uh, I have a forthcoming book uh, out from Naval Institute Press, which is a culmination of six years of work, uh, which is kind of a handbook on how to use different tools, develop your subordinates for mission command. So uh, this book is called Developing Mission, Developing uh, for Mission Command. Developing for Mission Command, Superior Command Culture. Okay, and and that's that's coming out with Naval Institute Press sometime this year or uh, this summer. This summer, okay, right. summer of two thousand nineteen. Two thousand. And the reason I say summer because it's they keep it keeps getting moved now, possibly back back closer to the right date because the the team is working great from the the, the press on helping me get that out. So. Oh, good, good. They're they're. I understand they're a very good publisher too. Very good publisher. I'm very proud to get accepted to get published, uh, and they have wide distribution because that's the purpose. The purpose is to make people better, and I think you and I uh, have that as a common goal, is, is to try to help people. As Chad Foster, or as Morgan Darwin, Sergeant Major Darwin used to tell me, they have an itch, but they don't know how to scratch it. That's People want to do this, but the key is not only reading it, but watching people do it, because again, it's easy to make this a bad tool. I, and it's interesting, I, I, I was almost about to recommend that people go back to some of the classic literature back in the 19th century, Part of the difficulty, however, is that the translators of these works, and in, in some cases, some of the, the people who wrote them down, uh, made some critical critical mistakes. So there's a tendency for a lot of the the um, the English language versions of these German classics from the late 19th century about Mike Moltke's tactical problems, often uh, translated. Uh, by people who tried to make them a little too regular, a little more too predictable. Uh, they got the words, but they lost the music. And in many cases, this is unfortunately the case with, with the works of, of, I love this name, Julius von Verdi du Vernois, a German guy with a French name. 
and Brigadier General too. I, yes. I, I've, I've had his book, and you know the irony. Let me interrupt you real yes, quick. Sir. Is his books are sitting in the Eisenhower uh, Library Research Center at, at at Leavenworth? Yes, but never gets checked out or used. Go ahead and tell the story. Well, well but unfortunate is that is that history is trans- the translator yeah. uh, translated from the French. So there's a French translation of the German original, and the uh, it made it very really over-regularized it, made it much... Processed. Yep, there's a first layer of processing. Then there's a second layer of processing from from the French. And so there are many things that, in the English translation, that are the opposite of the German original. So, for example, uh, Verdi, in his original um, uh, work on, on these tactical decision games, says the form of the order doesn't matter. The important things the order contains, everything it should contain, nothing that it shouldn't. Does it communicate the intent of the commander to what is needed? What did Moki say about orders? Also, uh, they should only be they they should they should only give what is needed by subordinate to accomplish the mission, and less so as they go up. Right, right, and nothing that he can do for himself. Right, exactly. Right, so so it's really very much about about the framework. But by the time you get to the English language translation by by uh, by Avon Swift, yes. Uh, in the 1880s. 1880s, uh, we've we, we've created the five paragraph order. Well, actually, for him, it was a five line order. The, yeah. the, the famous SMEAC that that many Marines know. Marines know, and I, I think the Army still uses it. Oh yes, it yeah, does. Right. Well, but, they've added more paragraphs now. There's a paragraph six, and well, well, right. It starts off being five simple lines, right. and now we've turned it into to a, a telephone book. Even even for uh, even for lower unit orders. We've made it complex. Yes, yes. It's, all, all, it's always easier to add and add and add and add, uh, whereas the, the, the essence of this method is very, very simple. But like many simple things, it's not easy. Right. And that's, that's the, the other thing I'll, I'll do, and I know, I know you have to, have to go, so we're going to have to close out this podcast, but I think we want to do another one, another one in this series, which will be about how to develop TDGs. Yes, we will do that next because that's very important. How, how to create them. But I'm also going to plug my own website, the, the Military Instructor Gateway, which, which uh, is at Blogspot. So just Google Military Instructor Gateway at Blogspot, and you'll find lots of resources, including some pre-made TDGs, a lot about the, the, the philosophy of TDGs, and a lot about decision-forcing cases, which are essentially uh, tactical decision games based on real events. Yeah, I, and I would I would also promote this not because I'm sitting here with you as and you're my good friend, but that your site's actually the best resources on all these tools to help uh, develop your subordinates for mission coming. You've done incredible research and primary source documents, and then taken them where anybody that cares and has an interest can use them. Well, thank you. And we also have a, a lot of links to sources like um, Brendan McBreen's The Unofficial 2nd yeah. Battalion, 5th Marines website, which has got a lot of good material on tactical decision games. And the other thing that's very interesting is a, another world outside of the military realm that's adopted this is the people who fight wilderness fires. Yes. Have been very much uh, involved in the tactical decision game as a, a way of preparing for the kind of challenges that they will face when they go out and face uh, face wildfires. A very dramatic change, changing by the second environment they have to go into. Yes. So anyway, thank you, Don Vandergriff. Very well. uh, and uh, we hope that listeners out there in, in podcast land uh, will... Uh, put their fingers to work and learn a little bit more about the tactical decision game. That's it for this time. 
You can learn more about military reform, find links to what we've discussed, and leave us comments by visiting our website at pogo.org Strauss. There you can also learn about our other investigations and efforts to make the military more ethical and effective at a significantly lower cost. Please click like on our Facebook page at the Project on Government Oversight. You can follow us on Twitter at at Dan underscore Grazier and at Strauss Reform. In order to preserve our independence, POGO does not knowingly accept contributions from anyone who stands to benefit financially from our work. If you would like to get involved and help POGO and the Center for Defense Information's work promoting an effective, open, and affordable government, please consider making a donation. Just click on the red donation icon at the top of our homepage. I'm Dan Grazier, the Jack Shanahan Military Fellow here at the Center for Defense Information at POGO. Please stay tuned as we will continue to help you navigate the Pentagon Labyrinth.